Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Last week, as we got into Romans chapter 12, we see that Paul had taken, uh, uh, he kind of culminated all uh, 11 chapters up to that point. And as he culminated it all up to that point, he just broke out into an exaltation. He broke out into a doxology, a, a praise to the Lord, a, a, a praise that says, guys, listen, this is who the Lord is to us. Understand, this is who God is. If there ever was a time for us in this nation, in this world, to understand this point that Paul is attempting to make right there, it's now. We're living in a day and an age where God is becoming uh, uh, fashioned after man's own hands, fashioned after the sociological effects of our nation, maybe our cultural ideologies that we have here in this country. God is being fashioned after our image instead of us being fashioned after God's image. And in so doing, what we do is we relegate God to not being God, but relegating God to be a servant of mankind, a, a, a man-made God, somebody that we would uh, like to serve because he now fits our mindset, our mindset. And, and that's the kind of a God that we in this country, especially right now, we're beginning to fashion. And that's not the case. It's just not the truth. It's what the world would want you to believe. Know this. It was prophesied that these things were going to happen in the very end. The things that we're going through right now uh, were prophesied that they were going to happen in the end. There would be a time where, where uh, uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Listen, know this, Timothy, that in the last days, in the latter days, uh, men will be lovers of themselves. They will heap up teachers for themselves that will itch their itching ears, say the things that they want to say because they don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear things that just itch their ears, that scratch, scratch behind their ears, you know? Kind of you do that with a dog sometimes and the dog goes, oh, this feels good, you know? And the faster you go, the dog just goes faster, you know? I mean, it's total contentment, right? Total contentment because the dog is... Loving that itch or that, 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 that scratching that you're, it's, you're scratching an itch. And it's the same kind of a thing for us in our society today. People are pulling up teachers that will bend the word of God in order to fit our lifestyle, in order to make sure that we're scratching the itches. And Paul says, know this, that in the latter days, that's going to happen. They're going to do that. But you, Timothy, look what he says here. He says, and you don't have to turn there, but he says, but you, Timothy, know this, don't fall in to that trap. Second Timothy, you can jot, it, jot the note down. I don't have time for you to look it up today because I've got a few things that I've got to go through. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, it says, know this, Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men are going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, boasters, proud. Before I read this and take this list out here, you're going to go, okay, yeah, Bible, Bible, Bible. That's the Bible. That's, oftentimes we can hear a Bible verse and go, okay, that's just the Bible saying something there. Okay, so I'm going to just hear, okay, that's the Holy Scriptures. That's spiritual things. Now, I want you to tune your ear to what you're hearing right now. Because Timothy is getting a letter from Paul, which is actually the last letter that Paul ever wrote. It's the last letter that Paul ever wrote. He wrote it 
to a son in the faith. He wrote it to someone that he knew that he was going to die and he was passing on a legacy. He was passing on a legacy. Paul was passing on a legacy to Timothy. Now, understand this. When he wrote this letter, he didn't write this simply to uh, revisit things that were happening in that day, though I'm sure that some of these things were happening in that day. But in the context of what Paul is writing here in chapter 3 of of, uh, 2 Timothy, the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, second and final letter he wrote to Timothy, here's the thing. He wrote this letter to Timothy, the very last words out of his mouth. Think about that for just a second. If you had... If you knew that your days were short and that you could send one letter to somebody to pass on, to leave behind something that that person will hear, something, what is the important thing in your life that you would pass on to that individual? What is it, what, what earth shattering message would you want to leave with whoever it is that you're going to send that message to? I mean, really think about that for a second. What would you have to write to pass on? If it's, hey man, I left all my Xbox games in my bottom drawer underneath my underwear. Find them there. You'll find them all. Listen, that's not going to do anything for your friend, for your family. Hey, I, I, I stashed a box, a box of cash you know, up in my closet. I didn't, Nathan. Uh, in a shoebox. Guess where he's going to be today? Digging around in my closet. Hey, maybe he, you know... Uh, Maybe mom did, though. I don't know. Let's look. Um, Here's the thing. (laughs) That's just temporal anyways, right? What What lasting legacy would you give? What lasting words of wisdom would you give to somebody? If you knew that your life was ending, what would you share with someone? Oftentimes we see it. Tell my mom or tell my girlfriend or tell my wife or tell my husband or tell my son or my daughter or whoever it is. Tell them that I love them. Can I just say, if they don't know that by that time, you're failing right now. If you have to remind them that you love them at that time, maybe you need to revisit your love for them today. And so let's scratch out that, because that's always, that's always the, the, I loved you, you know, I love you. Well, I hope so. You know, I hope my wife, you know, if I were to have to write that letter, if that's all I had to say to my wife, my wife would go, well, I'd hope so. I mean, you said it to me every day. I mean, I I would hope that you weren't lying. And you showed it to me and you proved it to me. And, And so what would you pass on? Well, see, Paul had that opportunity to do that. He knew that his time was very, very short. He knew that his time was just about up here on the earth. And he said, here's what I want to do. I want to pass on a warning. I want to pass on wisdom of what's going to happen. I'm going to pass on what's happening in those final days. Now, as he passes this on to Timothy, as, he, as we read this, I want you to read, I want you to hear, and you can turn over to me if you like. I mean, you don't have to not turn there to it because this is a very, very valuable passage for us today. Here's the thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, and it's the whole letter. I'm just picking out a little portion of the letter that because I don't have time to go through the whole of the letter. But he picks out, I pick out this, this is little port, part because it talks about the last days. And I have to ask myself this question. Wait a minute. Some 2,000 years ago or a little less than 2,000 years ago, Paul writes this letter and he's, he's concerned for his protege. 
He's concerned for the man that he mentored. He's concerned for the spiritual son that he has. He sees that there is time coming somewhere down the, down the pike where times are going to get pretty perilous. And he writes this letter. And as Timothy, now, now take it, and Timothy reads this letter. He gets this, he opens up the letter, and he's reading it. And as he reads this letter from, Timothy, or from Paul to himself, he's going, man, my, my mentor, he's, he's going to die. And these are the words that he's going to share with me. He says, but Timothy, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Timothy will look at that and go, really? Perilous times? And then he begins to list off some of these things. And as I read these things to you, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is this indicative of our world today? Is this indicative of what is going on in our life today? What's happening in the, in the society that we're living in, the culture that we're living in, the world that we're living in, is this indicative of that? Now, understand, as Timothy is reading this, he's looking at this going, Paul, surely not. There's no way that the world is going to go down this far. There's no way. You're telling me this is going to happen in the end? I can't believe it. Which would indicate, if, if this was happening in their day, all of these things were happening in this day, this day, why write it? Why write this? You understand what I'm saying? Why write this to Timothy if these things were all happening and, and Timothy's reading these going, yeah, people are already doing that, Paul. No, this is a character of, of the world that we're living in today. As Timothy, this letter, he's shocked to think that the world would, would go downhill so fast and so far that this actually would be an outline of what was going on in the world at that time. He says, Timothy, again, read it in the eyes of Timothy being shocked, but then also read it as you sit in your seat right now and go, hey, does this actually spell out what's happening in our life today? Look it. But know this, Timothy, that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. For men will be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be boasters and proud and blasphemers. You know what blasphemers are? Blasphemers is, is making God out to not be God. It's, it's transforming God to become something that you want him to be. That's, that's blasphemy. That's ascribing to God what he did not say. That's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Timothy, they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. And from such people, Timothy, turn away with an exclamation point. It is, a, it is a demand. It is a command that Paul gives to Timothy. From these people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into household and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. They're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what's happening in our, in our academic uh, institutions in our collegiate academic universities and colleges. 
And it's not just in secular colleges. It, it has run rampant even through seminaries today. It's even running rampant through Bible colleges today where, where men who are supposed to be teaching the unadulterated Word of God, they're beginning to change the Word of God because they know it's more palatable to the people. That's blasphemous. That is, that's a dangerous place. To Timothy, he would look at that and go, Paul, you don't say. There's no way that this is going to happen. There's no way that the world will ever be in this kind of temperature. No way. Will this be a character of the world? But I ask you today as you sit here in this place, is this not indicative of the world that we're living in right now? Here's what I want you to understand. If you're not shocked that this is happening in our world today, it's because you and I have fallen into that frog syndrome. Oh, you know the frog syndrome. It's, it's the idea, you've heard the story about the frog that they, they tried to boil in water. They boiled the water and put the frog in and what did happen to the frog? The frog hit the water and bounced right out. Burnt, but he was out and hopping away as fast as he could. But what somebody, what somebody else does is that they say, they, they said, here's the thing. Let's put a, a, a pan of cold water on the stove and put the frog in it and turn the heater on. And as the frog sits in there, he's going, hey, this is great water. This is great water. Hey, it's kind of becoming jacuzzi-like in here. He falls asleep, and before he knows it, the water is so hot that he's cooked himself to death. He doesn't realize that the water is getting hot that is actually killing him. He doesn't realize the danger that he's in. And I'm afraid that we, in our generation and the generation that's following me, we've fallen asleep. We've been in the pot, and the, the heat has been turned on, and we sat there, and we begin to get comfortable to a point where these things started happening around us and we did not take notice. But it's right now at our doorsteps. This is what we're living in. Paul says, hey, in those last days, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen in the last days. Timothy, he reads this and he goes, there is no way that this is going to happen. Really, Paul? Really? Yeah, he says, you know, these guys are going to do this and they're, they're, they're going to have minds. Well, let me back up. He says, Now as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Who's Janes and Jambres? You know the story about Moses when he went to before Pharaoh and he threw a stick on the ground because God told him to throw a staff on the ground and it would become a snake. And then he'd pick it back up and the, the, the snake would become a staff again to prove to, to Pharaoh that he was God's chosen man. Janes and Jambres were the, were the magicians of Egypt or of Pharaoh. And he did that and it freaked out. As Moses threw the staff down on the ground, he freaked out. Moses did. Or not Moses, but Pharaoh did. And Pharaoh looks over at his magicians and says, can you do this? And they said, uh, well, let's do some magical spells. Da, 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 da. And old David, David Copperfield and David Blaine over there, they threw their sticks on the ground and they became snakes too. What did it do to, to Pharaoh's heart? It hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, mind you, the Bible does say Moses' stick went over and swallowed the two sticks, the two snakes. God's greater than anything that the world will ever produce. Hey, I'm fascinated just like anybody else. 
of some of the things that we see some of these magicians out there doing. It baffles my mind. But know this, this wasn't a parlor trick when Jesus hung on a cross. It wasn't a parlor trick for God to send his son to pay for the sins of mankind. It wasn't a parlor trick. It wasn't something to go, ooh, that's cool. Show me something else that's going to that's gonna flatter me or that's going to make me feel wonder. No, it was necessary for us to have eternal life. But because there's so many things in this world that are vying for our attention, Paul says, listen, in those last days, these are going to happen. There's going to be people that are going to try to mimic the works of God. They're going to have corrupt minds. They're going to be disproved concerning the faith. But know this, Timothy, they're going to progress no further for their folly will be manifest or be made known to all. But he says, listen this, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions that I endured, the afflictions which I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, understand, the church is being, not just the, the, the normal person, the normal secular person in the world, the church is being deceived. The church is being deceived. There's so many pastors from pulpits, and I use that, that term lightly because here's the thing. There's many pastors out there that claim to identify with the Word of God, and they'll actually use the Scripture out of the, verse, out of the Word of God, but their message contradicts the context of the Word of God, which then makes their whole message blasphemous. It makes it not true, but because they have a stance behind a pulpit, People take it and they go, man, he must know. He's a pastor. He's a pastor. You might say, hey, listen, (laughs) who are you? Look at the size of your church. Who do you think you are talking about other pastors that have huge churches? I'm nobody. I really am nobody. I, I, I just hope that I'm, I can be numbered amongst like the John the Baptist's that said, listen, I'm nothing more than just one crying in a wilderness saying, hey, watch out. There's a train coming. And we got to be careful. We got to be concerned that this is happening on our watch, gang. It's happening on our watch. Timothy, he looks at this and Paul says, don't fall into that crowd. Men who are going to be seeming to be something, they're going to progress no further. Their folly will be made manifest. They're going to go out there. They're going to be evil men. They're going to be imposters. What is an imposter? Anybody, what's an imposter? What? A fake. Somebody who looks genuine but is a fake, right? There's a lot of pastors out there standing behind pulpits holding a Bible up with big smiles on their faces. And they have the largest churches in the world. Some of the largest churches in the world. And they smile and they don't teach you the full gospel of the word of God. And they're imposters. Be careful. Well, how can I be how can I be prepared, Pastor Don? What are you asking me to do? I'm asking you to get your nose in the word of God and don't get it out. Get your nose in the word of God so that you're not deceived. Find somebody that that sticks to what the word of God says and, and stick close to them and grow with them. Grow with them. That's what you do. That's what you do. 
That's what Paul and Timothy did. Yeah, Pastor Don, you're such a small little guy. I know, but there wasn't a big following for Paul. There really wasn't a big following for Paul. Think about Jesus himself. He had a, a, a church of anywhere from five to 15,000 people one day following him, and he said something hard, and they all took off. And what was Jesus' words to them? Was he running after them going, Hey, hey, no, no, come on back. You just misunderstood what I said. We don't, we don't preach this Jesus from pulpits today. This isn't the Jesus that we preach from pulpits today. Because the Jesus that is preached from pulpits is an all-inclusive, all-accepting, I don't care what kind of a life you're in, I don't care what kind of sin you're in, He loves you and He's going to accept you any old way you want. Yes, you're a Christian, but go ahead and keep it in that sin because God is love and He won't send anybody to hell. And that is just false. That's just false. That's not what the Word of God teaches. Something has to happen in our life. It's called repentance. Repentance means turning away. Turning a 180 degree opposite turn from where you were going before. Here's the thing. As, as we, 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 we sit here and we listen to, to what's happening today and, and what is going on today, we've got to be careful. We have got to be on our guard. We have got to look at the Word of God. And as, as you know, looking back at that illustration, here goes five to 15,000 people. We don't really know. We, just, we understand that it was 5,000 besides women and children. So... There's two ways to understand that, that Jesus had that day. There were 5,000 men besides women and children, which would mean including the women and children, or besides women and children, which would mean that there'd be at least 5,000, probably 15, even more than that probably. And I'm more along that line. He says something a little hard and they all walk away. And so Jesus doesn't run after them and go, hey guys, please come back. I'm Jesus. I want to be all accepting. I want to be all inclusive. I want, I want us all to live in harmony and unity. And, and, and I want you to stay and, 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 and just believe what you want to believe. Just come back. Please be a part of my church. No, Jesus watched until the last bit of dust settled from the last person that left. And there was no one left except for his 12 disciples. And what do you think he said to them? Guys, I'm so sorry I let you down. I'm so sorry that I blew it. I'm so sorry. We had a good thing going. We had 15,000 people in our church. And I said something wrong and they're all gone. I'm sorry, guys. Is that what Jesus said? No, Jesus didn't say that. He said, you guys want to go too? That's not a pastor of today's day and age. We don't do that. Pastors, they do everything to get people in the seats. And here Jesus just chased away fifteen to 20,000 people and he's asking his deacons and elders to go too. Going, hey guys, you want to go too? And, and, and Peter, he stands, he goes, hey, I, hey, what you said is tough. But one thing we do know is that you have the words of life. Where else would we go? I may not completely and totally understand what you just said, but I'm convinced in seeing your life and knowing your word and knowing you. There's a message there. There's something there that you're building in me. You're building in us. Where else would we go? You're the ones that have the word you're the one that has the words of life. And it was in that kind of a heart that God began and formed and fashioned 
his church. He had 12 men. We outnumber Jesus right now. So what authority, I'm, by, the, by the way, please don't hear me say, I am Jesus up here. No, that's furthest from the truth. I'm not Jesus. I just want to speak the words that Paul tried to get into Timothy. I want to be a herald in these last days too. We're living in these days. And for goodness sakes, there needs to be a watchman on the wall that stands up and says, watch out guys, it's coming, it's on us, it's here. Be ready, be wary, be, be understanding that these days are happening and you're going to be bombarded when you walk out of this place. For those that have bigger degrees, mightier degrees, more, they're, they're more intellectual than I am and they're more intellectual than most people that you know that are going to go out there and say, oh, they're there to try to scare you, to keep you into the faith. Listen, if I could scare you to be into the faith, I'd do it. But understand this, if I scare you into the faith, you can be scared out of it. I'm just here as, as, as a parent would to a child that is, is mainline and heroin going, son, don't do this again. Just don't do it. Oh, you're being so limiting. All of my, the people that I hang with, they say that this is the way to go. It's cool. Do you understand how much enlightenment we get by taking hits of acid? Guys, I've been there, man. I know. I know the experience. I know what it feels like. And I know the intense feelings that you get when you're completely and totally high on drugs. I was there. You get into some pretty deep conversations at that time, don't you? But when you come down off that high, you go, hey, man, this ain't reality. Reality is being high. Because that's where I have these intense spiritual moments. So I'm just going to stay high. It's a lie from the very pit of hell to keep you locked up. But here's the thing. It's not the word of God. What are you basing anything on? Well, not, not the word. If you have teachers that, out there, that are out there that, that are sitting there and, and men that come on TV or women that come on TV or, or that you listen to or that you read and they go, well, I know that the Word of God says this, but... And then they begin to explain away the Word of God. What have you heard me say? And I'm going to start saying it. And I know that many of you are going to help me repeat it right now. Here it is. When the Word of God makes perfect sense... Make no other sense, lest you make nonsense. Let's say it again. When the word of God makes perfect sense, make no other sense, lest you make nonsense. But see, this is what these brains are coming out. They're going, well, I know that the Bible says that, but back in that day, this is what they meant. Were you there? Why don't you take the word of God literally and just take it as its face value and try instead of trying to explain it away? Because what you're trying to explain away is actually, actually contradictory to the rest of the context of Scripture. And if you are doing things in contrary to the Word of God, here's the thing, I pity your soul, ma'am. I pity your soul, mister. I don't know who you are, but here's the thing. If you are doing that, you are going to have to answer to the Lord. Because you have now become a teacher, and people are listening to you, and I pity your soul. Paul says, or James says, let not many of you become teachers, lest you incur a stricter wrath. I take that very seriously. 
I have a fear of the Lord that if what I preach from this pulpit isn't truth, I'm going to have to answer for that. Not just for myself, but for every one of you in this room. I'm going to have to answer for what I just pumped into your head. And I don't want that responsibility if I'm teaching something that I'm having to explain away in Scripture. Let's just open the Word of God and make it, just let it say what it says. And then let's expound on it and say, hey, let's get out there and do it. But see, that's not what we're living in today. We've got out there people that are evil men and imposters and they're growing worse and worse. They're deceiving and being deceived. He says in verse 14, I didn't mean this to be a whole chapter verse in Timothy, but, but as for you, Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing, that, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's an unfortunate chapter break right there because he's breaking out into a crescendo here. He says, so then I charge you, Timothy. I charge you. Therefore, before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. What's the word? It's this right here. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince and rebuke and exhort and with all long suffering, patience. And with teaching, for the time will come. Again, he says it again. For the time is going to come. And he refers, by by even saying that, he's saying in these last days, this is what's going to happen. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They're not going to want to listen to what the Word of God says. They want something extra biblical. They want something that's beyond what they've heard and understood the Bible to say. They want something more. They will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll be turned aside into fables. But you, Timothy, don't let that be of you. You be watchful in all things. Endure the afflictions if they have to come. Do the work of an evangelist. That means go out there and be a witness for Christ. Fulfill your ministry. The last words that Paul pens, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure. My time of my death is at hand. I'm I'm about to die. I'm about to be killed in Rome. About to die. But Timothy, here's the one thing, and let it be said of every one of our lives. He writes to Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Those three things. I fought the good fight. I have finished my race and I have kept the faith through it all. How about you? How about you? Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. But hey, it's not just me. It's for everyone who has loved his appearing, who has waited for him in patience and in long suffering. God is here. And this is, this is, this is, what God is desiring to instill in the heart of anyone who's open to hear. I didn't intend for this introduction to be this long. 
I'm passionate about this because I'm passionate about you. I'm passionate about people that are sitting here in this congregation that won't be here in another year or in six months or maybe not even next week. You know how many people have come and gone through our little church? I have a lot of people that have come and gone through our church. Many of those I run into. And many of them I sit there and I see that their lives are in absolute and utter turmoil. Their lives are turned upside down. And they have no walk with God whatsoever. They have no, their kids have no walk with the Lord whatsoever. There's people that have just walked away from God and yet they were here just like you were. With a smile on your face going, man, I'm eager to learn. But somewhere along the line, something came up to where you or they got to a point where they said, you know what, I don't want to do this thing about God anymore. I want to listen to other, I want to listen to, to what the world is saying. I want to listen to, I want to listen to those who actually stretch the scripture in order to live their life the way they want to live their life. I'm willing to shuck what it is that I know, what I've learned from the word. I'm going to shuck that because it's hamper, ham, hampering my lifestyle. It's messing with me. Why do I preach messages like this? Because I care about you. I love you and I don't want to see you be one of those 20,000 that walked away from Christ. I want to see you be one of the 12 that stayed. I might not understand everything, but one thing I do understand, the word of God is true. And hey, I might not completely and totally fall in line with some of the things that it says because I just don't understand them, Pastor Don. But here's the thing. I will be satisfied to say the Bible is correct and I am wrong I'm willing to lay aside who it is that I want to become to become the man or the woman or the child that God wants me to become that's what I want to be I want to be what God wants me to be because right now being a Christian is not is not a popular thing in in the culture that you live in and so really it comes down to you and here's the thing I've, I've sissy lalad my way at times through this with many people that have come in here. But you know what? I don't want their blood to be on my hands. I don't want their salvation to be, you know, their, their salvation to be dependent upon something that I refuse to say. I want you to hear. Listen, you're living in a dangerous world right now. And right now, there's a lot of bad things that are going on and there's a lot of imposters that, are, imposters that are standing in pulpits right now and they're trying to teach you something that God didn't intend for them to teach. And they're doing it for the satisfaction of their flesh. And here's the thing. Don't listen. Well, how can I know? Again, Paul told Timothy the way to guard against this is to get into the scriptures himself. You do it. You see, on that day when you stand before Christ, there, you can't sit there and go, well, here's the thing, Lord. Uh, my friends and I, we, we didn't believe this or we didn't, we didn't, we didn't choose to do this. And, and, and it's at that time that I, I don't think God's going to, or Jesus is going to sit here and say, well, let me bring your friends in. Let me, let me judge on that. Let me judge on that. Let me, okay, so your friends and you, you just decided not to follow me because everybody else said you shouldn't. So... All right, come on in. Gosh. Now he's going to be, say, depart from me. I never knew you. But, 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 but my friends, my friends, we all just were, we, we went to church at times, but we just didn't do what you wanted us to do. I mean, it's a long book, Lord, and it's kind of boring. I just wanted to throw that in at you. 
I just keep reading this. If I read it, I get I get tired and I fall asleep. Well, then stand up. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna have all those people around you in that day when you stand before God. The Bible says, "Broad is the way that leads to death and destruction, and many there are who go that way, but narrow." is the gate that leads to life. And very few there are who go that way. And you've heard me talk about this before. Get the picture of a funnel in your head. Those that are walking towards destruction, they walk with freedom today and they go, oh man, look at all the things that we get to do. Eh, I don't care that the Bible says that. Here's what we get to do. We have the fun, man. And so what if we all go to hell? We are going to party in hell, man. Major keggers in hell. Guess what? There's not going to be any Budweiser in hell. I don't like Budweiser, though. That's good. There isn't going to be any pleasurable drink in hell. We're just going to be partying, man. I'm going to be there with all my friends. I'm going to be hanging. I'm going, hey, man, we didn't want to be up there little wings and harps and all that kind of stuff. How boring. You know what? That's exactly what Satan would want you to believe. Get this picture that hell is a place where all you're going to do is party and have sex and, and, and never have to sleep and be completely and totally blasted out of your brain. You're going to be around your buddies and your friends and all those things and everything is going to be so cool and Satan's going to be like the life of the party. He's going to be, run on man, bring more in, woohoo! No, that's not going to be hell. That's not hell. The Bible says that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Am I trying to scare you? No, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to share. That's what the Bible declares hell as being an everlasting lake of fire burning with, burning with brimstone. Here's the thing. I know Jeremy just got burned just two days ago. Have any of you ever been burned? Fairly good. Maybe you've been, been, been burned bad. You understand, a burn doesn't just burn when it happens, but a burn just keeps burning. And burning and burning and burning and it doesn't stop burning. And, and you go, yeah, I just don't like to think about that because you know what? I just don't. And that's the thing. That's the place where you and I just don't agree on each other, Pastor Don, is that I don't believe that God would ever create a place for man to ever go that would be tormented like that. That's just, I don't want to believe in a God like that. Well, well then check out and go to a different universe because here's the thing. These are his rules. Yeah, but he's a God of love. and Yes, he is a God of love. Yeah, but he, he wouldn't ever send anybody there. No, he wouldn't. You'd send yourself there. He's done everything he can do by sending his son. He's shown you at what extent he will go to secure your salvation. Now it's up to you whether or not you want to take the bridge that he has provided for you or you're going to just, hey, dude, I'm going to hang it on my own, man. I'm going to handle this on my own. I'm going to live my life the way I want to and then I'm going to guilt you, God, into heaven, having me go into heaven because ha, there's no way you can handle me going, how can a God of love send anybody to hell? How could Jesus ever send anybody to hell? And he'll hold those out of his hands. And he'll say, see these scars? There's the wounds that I had, that I got when I was in the house of my friends. I did the cross for you, man. I did the cross for you. I died for you. You just chose not to, to take the path that I... I went to the ends of the earth for you, man. I died for you. You didn't want 
my rope. You didn't want my bridge. There was an illustration that I I always love to use. It was up there in Alaska. We've all seen a lot of those deadliest catch programs that are up there, you know, and it's crazy. These guys are just nuts out there doing the stuff that they do. Crab sure is good, though. Keep doing it. Here's the thing. I remember seeing a boat up there, one of these fishing boats. Some of you guys might remember this. There was one of these boats that are up there that became incapacitated. Their engines shut down and what have you. They were halfway close to some sort of an island or something that way, way, way out there. And their boat was, was drifting and, and the, the currents were taking them into icebergs. And they called out a, I don't know what you call it, an SOS or whatever it is that boats call out. Hey, we need emergency services. We need help. And uh, they sent a, a, a Coast Guard cutter to come in, and, and the, the, the cutter came in and tried to break through the ice to get to it. But by this time, this boat was already fairly close to land, uh, and, and it, was, it was being beaten into the, into the waves. And as this cutter was trying to come in, well, a cutter goes in and cuts the icebergs, right? The, 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 the water that's covered with ice, it cuts through the ice. Well, what happens if you cut through ice is that it pushes the ice. And what it was doing, it was just pushing ice into the people, thus thereby basically cracking up their craft. And so they had to back off. They couldn't get to these people. And they're just sitting there watching them perish right in front of their eyes. But they sent out a Coast Guard helicopter, and it was such a far distance from anywhere. This helicopter flew out and only had a much, as much gas to really get there and, and get back to safety before they had to land. And they're out there trying to recover the ship and it's being beaten by these big icebergs and it's just this boat is going down. And this, this, this helicopter, it lowers a, a, a string down or the, the, you know, the life thingy, what, the life basket, you know, and, and they were getting in one by one. And, and one last person, the last person to get in was the captain of the ship. Good captain. That would let everybody off before himself. But uh, he ended up getting thrown into the water. Um, because it just got, I mean, it was at the point where there was not much more they could do. He got thrown into the water. They put the basket down as close as they could get to him. Here's the thing. At that time, and this is where this illustration really works really well. At that time, he could be sitting there in the water and that basket could be right there. That's really up to him whether or not he's going to jump in that basket or not, right? He's either going to take that basket or he's not going to. He's going to go, no, I'm going to crawl back up in my ship. I think I can do it. I can do it on my own. I can do this. But that basket sits there and and hovers, but it can only do it for so long because if they stay out there, they're going to jeopardize the men that are on that craft, on that, that helicopter, and so here's the thing. You either get in or we're gone. You got a decision you got to make. If you choose not to get in that basket, whose fault is that? Is it the helicopters? It's yours. You, you have refused to take the, the mode of rescue. You have refused to take the mode of rescue. And, and so here it is. Do you then die and, and blame it on the Coast Guard? They didn't come and help me. God, why didn't you come and help me? You might blame it on God. How come you didn't help me? I prayed, God, that you would help me. I sent you a helicopter, for goodness sakes. You chose not to jump on the life raft thing, the life crate box, whatever that thing is. 
You didn't, you didn't jump into the basket that I gave to you. Yeah, well, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's everyone else's fault. You know what? And that's the kind of a society that we're living in today, the culture that we're living in. It's everybody else's fault but yours and, um, and mine. We're, we're living in a society of entitlements and, 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 and cast the blame onto everyone else but me. And that's not the context of Scripture. The context of Scripture is to come humbly before your God and recognize that you are a sinner. You cannot save yourself. You need rescue. And God sent you that life basket. And it really is up to you whether or not you're going to get in that basket or not. You're either going to take his mode of rescue or you're going to reject his mode of rescue. But if you reject his mode of rescue, you are going to perish. Well, I just don't think that a God who's so loving would ever allow me to die in freezing cold waters like that, being bashed together by icebergs. Well, I don't know what kind of a God you have factored up into your mind, but it's the wrong factor, man. You, you've, you've come to the wrong conclusion. God didn't prepare hell for, for you and I. Jesus says it was prepared for the devil and his angels. The problem is, is that man want to follow that. That people want to follow that. And, and God is saying, I don't, want, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to go there. I want you to be saved. And I want you to go to heaven. And as much as Satan wants you and the world and everybody else wants you to think that it's going to be cool in hell. It is going to be anything but cool in hell. It's not going to be a place where you're going to be radically having a great time. It's a place of utter torment. It's a place of, of separation from God. It's a place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It'll be a place of darkness. It'll be a place of heat. It'll be a place. How can you factor, how can you fathom, Pastor Don, that a God so good would even do such a thing? Well, I know that according to what the Word of God says is that we will all be standing before God saying one day, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. In heaven, I'm not going to sit there and go, you know what, God, that was kind of unfair as guys are in hell. No, because I think in that time, we're going to go, you know what? As hard as that is, they chose to step over God. God tried to save them and they were not willing to get in the basket. They didn't want to. They wanted to do it on their own. They don't have anybody to blame but themselves. Yeah, but why would God ever do that? I don't, I, that's a question you can ask him. You can ask him. You can ask him in heaven, why did you even do that? All I can say right now and all I can do as a herald, as a pastor, as a preacher today is say, you know what? Until you can get a face-to-face with God and ask him that question, just know that the Bible says that it's there and, and we're all in danger of going there. We're all destined to go there and God sent his rescue basket to us in the form of Jesus I choose to take his rescue basket. Yeah, but I don't like those rules. I don't care. And I, I, I really don't care that you don't like his rules. You know, you can be playing tennis in a Wimbledon and knock the ball five feet out of bounds and they call it out. And you go, no, I don't like those rules. Huh? No, that was a point for me. You're going to stand there looking very, very foolish, arguing the rules, Go find your own sport if you don't want that to be out. But the, 
the, the, the, the game of tennis requires that you keep the ball inside that line. You hit it outside. There's a consequence to hitting it outside that line. Well, I don't like those rules. Okay, well, then you don't get to play tennis. No, I get to. I'm going to be champ, you know, crowned champion, Wimbledon champion. Uh, no, you won't. No, you won't. Yes, because I feel it and I, I, I really believe it. Well, unless you play according to the rules and you play according to the way that they have designed the, the court, you're, you're not going to have a chance. Well, I think that that's unfair of Wimbledon to do that. I think that they're evil. I play by their rules, man. Here's the thing. This is God's planet. This is God's rule book. God's given you one basket of rescue. And right now, the world is telling you, don't buy into that. And I'm telling you, as a herald today, buy into it. I've extended my introduction for next week. Um, because, uh, or next time. I, I think Kevin's teaching next week. But, but uh, here's the thing. We're living in a, in, a, in a tough society right now. We're living in a tough world. But don't give up. Don't give up. Get your nose in the word. That's what Paul said to Timothy. You want to know how you can keep yourself from it? Understand this. All scripture is, inspi- is, the inspira- is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, knowing how to live. For reproof. When my life isn't in order with God, it will reproof me. It will reprove me. It will tell me that my life isn't in line with what God wants me to be. And so therefore, it will convict me for correction. It will correct my life for instruction. It will give me wisdom on the direction that I am supposed to walk in this life in righteousness. It will tell me how is it I can please the Lord. That the man of God may be equipped or completely I'm sorry, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's really by getting into the Word of God. And you know what? You have nobody else to blame but yourself if you don't get into the Word of God. Get into the Word of God, gang. Stay in the Word of God. And don't be duped by the charlatans and the imposters and the evil men that are standing behind pulpits or standing in talking on the TV or whatever, or a politician or whatever that tries to take you away from this Word of God. Because really it comes down to you. Ain't nobody else going to be standing with you when you're standing before the judge. It's going to be you. It's all on you, man. And woman. It's all on us. Let's get into the Word. Stay there. Father, I know I've taken a lot of time in what was intended to be my introduction, but Lord, I felt like this was a direction you wanted me to go as I begin to open Second Timothy. Lord, if I'm passionate about this and I am a man with a limited scope of mind, how passionate are you about this, Lord? You had a goal, you had a path, you had a a purpose when you came to the earth. You made a beeline to the cross. You knew that that's where you were supposed to go in order to secure our salvation. And nothing tripped you up along the way. Even though man rejected you, even though some accepted you and everything was great and they wanted to elevate you to be the king, 
you didn't buy into it, but you continued to stay the course and be the man that you intended to be when you came here upon the face of the earth in order to show us the way and then die for us on a cross to pay a penalty that we ourselves couldn't. To raise again to life where we could never raise back to life. Lord, you showed us the way. You became the example. You are the rescue basket. And so, Lord, we come before you and we acknowledge that we don't know it all, but God, help us. Help us to know you. Help us to know your word and help us not to be deceived. Help us not to fall into the trap that Paul says to Timothy that the maybe all of our close friends might fall into and that's accepting what everybody else is accepting. Because it's easier to walk with the multitude than to walk by ourselves. God, help us to be men and women of integrity. Help us to be men, of, men and women that are willing to, to buck the system in order to follow you and your word. No matter if it causes us hardship, pain, loss of friendships, loss of relationships, help us to resolve in our hearts and purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves, God, but to follow you no matter the cost. Help us in this church right now. Help us with those that are listening to be the exception and not the world rule where we will say, though none go with me, yet I will follow. I will follow you all the way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.